All right, well, welcome everybody. This is Tom Miller here. I'm so excited today. We have a special guest with us, uh, but uh, I want to first make sure we just take a few minutes and, and uh, it's Wednesday. If anybody didn't know this, I always have to remind myself, what day is it? And it's Wednesday. And it's one of my favorite days because I get to spend some time with you all, the exceptional, uh, direct, the exceptional children's uh, directors and principals of, of, of North Carolina. Um, and, and so what you do is so important. And so we're about two weeks from learning that, uh, that we won't go back to our school brick and mortar style as we know it, right? So last uh, couple of weeks, I tried to set you up for that conversation about what will school look like, not only for the rest of this year, but what will school like, look like when you return? And so remember we had four scenarios and now two of them are completely eliminated. We know for a fact we're not going back in brick and mortar. Now the only two left are, will we go back when we choose to go back brick and mortar in the fall? Or will we have to open up remotely again um, that time? So to do that, uh, one of my goals has been to provide expertise in front of you all to help you uh, design the best plan for your students. And uh, I've never, taught in a virtual world and so I can't help you but I know people who can and that's what's most important so there's going to be a lot of leadership lessons that I'm going to throw in here the one if you were on the call earlier was never not ask a question because you never know what answer you might get so always always ask questions I was trying to get into Notre Dame's campus and I didn't ask to and then the second one is surround yourself with the people that are way smarter than you and have better expertise in things that you don't do. And that's what I've done today. So I am going to uh, introduce Ty Richardson. I just met her about 20 minutes ago, but we're like best friends in my mind. I don't know in her mind, but in my mind, we're like best friends. And so uh, Tara works for K-12, which is one of the largest virtual charter school organizations in the world, country, world. Uh, I know they have lots of schools in Pennsylvania. They have a charter school here in North Carolina as well and uh, so i've asked tara to come on and just you know just tell us a little bit about what what and how they do it because they're built for this this is what they normally do they're always in a virtual capacity and it's real exciting because tara is in charge of related services and so she has a big team and she oversees a lot so a lot of your questions have been how do we provide related services how do we do a better job vetting how do we find new vendors who may do some teletherapy with our kids so I think Tara is the perfect person for us to talk to. So with that, I'm going to be quiet and introduce uh, Tara and let her have the floor. Tara, welcome to North Carolina, virtually. Thank you, thank you. So um, as Tom said, I'm Tara Richardson. I am based out of Arkansas. And just to give you a little bit of background, I'm, I'm my, my education is early childhood special ed. I've done um, infant toddler, um, special needs programs based in hospitals, at Easter Seals and public schools, lots of different settings, was a director of an outpatient therapy clinic. And in 2007, um, I became a special ed teacher with the Arkansas Virtual Academy through K-12. And from there, um, just moved through a variety of positions from school level to regional and now national working for K-12 directly um, in the area of related services. So I have um, been on the teaching end of things, the 
administrative end of things with um, exceptional education and um, hope to be able to give you guys some some feedback, um, some things that we've learned over the years because back in 2007, we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have web classes. I, truly as a special ed teacher, what I was doing was I was on the phone once a month with the gen ed teacher and the family saying, how are things going? Is there anything I can help with? And then, you know, within a year of me coming on board, we started to have some online classes and I, you know, I was like, let me try this out with you. And I'd pick a student that I knew would interact well with me. <laughs> And we kind of was my guinea pig. And now I mean, that's the norm for our schools is to be online together with groups of students working on goals, working on um, curriculum together. So um, I've kind of been there through this whole um, integration of technology into what we do in serving students. So I have just a few slides um, with some general information about how to serve special uh, populations in a virtual setting. Um, first, I want to check, did you all move to slide two with me? Excellent. All right. So um, things that we have to consider uh, when looking at um, delivering special education services. Obviously, um, you know, while we, we love for academics to be number one, um, it's hand in hand with compliance and a lot of times compliance comes first. So you've got to think about your compliance components, um, your IEP meetings, how are those going to be held? How are you going to make sure that all the parts and pieces that are required to be in your IEP documentation, how do they get signed? How do they get to all the participants when those participants aren't sitting in the same room? And then how do you make sure all of that happens within your timelines? Then we've got to think about staffing. You know, what, um, how do we train the staff you already have on board to meet with your students in an online environment? How do we support them, get them trained on those online resources? Um, and, and not only that, but also looking at how they support the parent who is sitting there beside their child, hopefully, um, to work on these things and supporting that family as they're working with, especially our students who have behavioral challenges, how they work to support those families um, as they're working through any educational um, work. Um, progress monitoring. So yay, we got teachers in classrooms, we got them connected with their students. How do we track? how they're doing. You know, so many of our teachers are used to just having their notebook in their classroom or their clipboard and they've got one for each student and their parapros are helping them and they're collecting data. How do we help them transition that into um, online collection so that it's not a clipboard sitting at their desk at home. It's something that, you know, other teachers, you as administrators have access to as well. And then, you know, we'll, we'll spend some time just, you know, open discussion. As Tom said, throw stuff in the chat. I'm pretty good at multitasking and I, I, I'm happy with bird walking. <laughs> um, so let's talk about IEP meetings. Um, absolutely, you can have IEP meetings in a virtual setting. Um, many of you may have already been doing that when you think about your families who may have a parent who might be incarcerated. You get that family on the phone, you include them in your IEP meetings via phone. It's fantastic now that we have these online meeting rooms such as Zoom or Google Meet or Blackboard or whatever your platform may be, um, because then you can have that visual, you can share the documents that you have um, right there on the screen so that everybody can see it. But you have to think about scheduling. It's a lot of communication back and forth to get all the players on board as to when they can meet for an IEP meeting. 
Um, making sure that whoever is hosting that meeting is very comfortable with the tools. You know, how do you let people into the room? What if somebody, you know, I see that you don't have your microphone, your microphone's not on. How do we help troubleshoot while we're in that room with folks who may not be familiar with that platform to make sure that everybody can be an active full participant in that meeting? Um, recording, not recording meetings. That is very um, much a district decision, um, usually involving your legal team on whether or not you record those. Um, IEP signatures, great question, Keisha. So depending on your platform, there are different options and depending on what your state allows. So there are some states that are fine with, you know, you can put a, a whiteboard or a slide up in your, your meeting room and say, you know, does everybody agree to this IEP? And everybody puts a little green check mark next to their name and you take a screenshot and that counts in some states. In other states, you truly have to have a, an electronic signature um, and you can do that in a few different ways. There are obviously paid systems where you can get signatures such as DocuSign. I think another one's called HelloSign. Um, there's also, for those of you who, who might be a, leaning a little more on the techie side, um, in the past we have used programs such as, um, uh, it's called Foxit Reader, and it's a PDF reader. And within certain platforms, if you can give control to somebody else, so I could give you know, Tom control of my screen and he can use his mouse to draw in my screen and he could put his signature on a document using, you know, we have the Foxit reader up on our screen, give control and Tom can sign his name on that document. So there are a couple of different solutions to getting those signatures. Or, you know, honestly, back in the olden days, before we had all that technology, we'd have IEP meetings over the phone, and then we'd mail out the IEP, and then we'd call. You've had that for two weeks now. <laughs> Are you going to send it back? <laughs> Always make sure you send a return envelope that's already stamped and addressed, because that's going to give you a much higher chance of getting those documents back. And then always, you know, we document in the IEP meeting, you know, all participants agreed verbally to this IEP documents will be sent to the family, you know, however that's going to be sent, whether it's a physical mailing or through DocuSign or whatever. So a couple of different options on how to capture signatures. Um, going back to the recording, if you do record your meetings, need to figure out where you're going to house those. Who's going to have access to those recordings if, uh, heaven forbid, you know, six months from now, you know, a parent files a complaint and you're like, wait a minute, I was in that meeting. I remember such and such happening. Are you going to be able to easily access that recording to be able to, to use that um, in that, that process? Um, training. Again, just make sure that your, your teachers and your facilitators, whoever's going to be participating from your side of, of the meeting, is very comfortable in that setting. Make sure they know how to move between documents. If you're sharing documents, they know how to do some of that basic troubleshooting, you know, especially when you have parents or grandparents who are guardians of students who are popping into an online meeting, perhaps for the first time, um, being able to help guide them. Um, providing some cushion time at the beginning of your IEP meetings to deal with technical issues. Um, it's always good to have mock IEP meetings. If, you're, if your staff have never done this before, you've set up some mock meetings for them to practice with a peer on going through all the, the components of the IEP together. 
Um, making sure that you've got, you know, all your other documentation, your prior written notices, your procedural safeguards, you know, make sure that all the parts and pieces are included in those IEP meetings, just as if you were sitting around a table there in your, your local school. Probably one of the biggest hurdles that we have in the virtual world, and now y'all are probably experiencing in distance, distance learning, is no-shows. Students who have gone completely off the radar, parents aren't talking to you, the students not completing anything, they're just MIA. I'm having a process for how to address those students. Um, you know, right now I know it's it's kind of we're doing the best we can, everybody is, but if you're looking towards the future and this fall and the possibility of coming back to this distance learning environment, you know, what is the process for when you can't get a hold of students? And this is gonna be kind of completely in conjunction with, with your, your school superintendent and principals, um, but there's a special component for special education. Because what if that student is not logging into their courses because there is some barrier due to their disability that is, is making it impossible for them to get there. So it can't just be, oh, well, that student's not coming in. We're going to put them on the truancy plan. It's, oh, that student's not coming in. Oh, I see that they're a special education student. Let's, let's check with that, that teacher or that administrator at that school to see you know, if there may be a barrier for that student due to their disability. So those kinds of things need to come into play and possibly holding a manifestation meeting, um, you know, maybe even a little bit sooner than you would see in your typical setting um, because of some of these barriers. The other thing is just making sure that parents are fully aware of, of what is happening. You know, they're used to, I'm sending my child to school. And then my child come home, comes home from school. They're not used to, I'm sitting here with my child when they're trying to complete this English lesson, where in you know, their typical classroom, maybe they get the English lesson, plus they're paired with a peer who's helping them as peer support. Or perhaps that's a lesson that typically would go with them to a resource room to be worked on one-on-one -on -one with that special education teacher. Um, and so making sure that parents understand when assignments are coming through, whether from the special ed teacher or their general education teacher, what supports they should expect um, to, to need to provide or need to access for their students. Um, and then, of course, um, your state agency will eventually <laughs> have guidance, or at least, as, as Tom was saying earlier, we'll at least say, uh, y'all figure out how you're going to handle it. We're good. Um, so just make sure that you're paying attention because every state is kind of handling this different. And even before COVID, um, from my experience, I've, I work currently with, um, I think we're 43 schools right now across many, many states. And every state is a little bit different in how they address distance learning, virtual education, much less special education, um, if they address it at all. So I, I just encourage you to, to keep an eye on what your state is, is putting out. Um, related services. This, this is my wheelhouse, y'all. Um, <laughs> you can provide related services virtually. Um, even even in, in our model, we have some services that you know have to be done face to face, and we we do that. We find face to face therapists, you know, orientation and mobility, 
you know, braille instruction, you know, very obviously have to be face to face. Or there are students that just do not interact well in the online environment. And so face-to-face -face is a needed um, service for them. I will say at K-12, we had about 15% of all of our services were face-to-face -face prior to COVID. Since COVID, it's now 4%. So we've made that move. And then we're gonna have to monitor how students progress who have moved from face-to-face -to, -face to online to see if online really was an effective delivery model. And if it's not, then we're going to have to go back and provide compensatory once we can do face-to-face -face again. Uh, but that being said, many, many related services can be provided face-to-face -face or online. So speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, psych psychological services, counseling services, um, et cetera, can, can be done online. So it's providing that same support that you'd give teachers with, here's your online classroom, providing those same supports to therapists and say, hey, here's your online therapy room. Um, measuring success in therapy, it's, it's data collection. You know, just like you do to measure success for ESY determination, um, looking at not just uh, regression recoupment, but also looking at the overall impact, you know, especially relationally with therapists. If you have a student who has, um, you know, who may be on the autism spectrum and has a really hard time with transitioning and has gone from face to face with the therapist to now online, how long does it take to rebuild that, that relationship to get impact of therapy um, through that? Hey, Tara, let, I'm sorry, let me just ask a follow up with that. I was you know, I love that answer. And I was really, you know, thinking you had said, I thought I heard you say, we're like 4% face to face now, right? So how are you going to evaluate whether you may continue this model? Because some of these leaders may realize, hey, our, you know, virtual therapy is just as effective as our face to face therapy. And it might be a lot, you know, cheaper, you know, I don't know. So what's the measuring <laughs> stick that you're, you know, utilizing? Is it just really your overall results of the student or, or how easy it is to work with the vendor? Yeah, it's, it's a variety of things. Um, first of all, it's, it's always a student level decision. Um, many of our schools, as technology has improved and therapy techniques in the online environment have improved, um, many of our, our schools have gone to, you know, you're a new student coming into our environment. You had speech or OT or whatever on your IEP before. We are a virtual environment. We're going to offer that to you in the online therapy setting. Um, we watch the data. If the student doesn't make progress, the IEP team comes back and reevaluates. And you know, face to face is needed. Then we move them to face to face. And I think it'll be that same thing. Um, yes, more often than not, online therapy is cheaper if you're contracting out. If you have your own staff therapist, obviously that um, you know is that's that's a different ballgame. You know, you've paid for your staff, you've got your staff. It's the same cost. But if you're contracting those services out, then, then online is typically um, less expensive. Um, some resources that are available for your staff therapist, um, I've listed them on the slide and I've got some documents I can push out to y'all as well that has the same information and links. But a lot of the professional organizations, ASHA, AOTA, um, you know, NASP, all those associations have various, um, especially recently, guidance regarding telepractice and resources. And um, the last couple of weeks, we've been um, in renegotiation for our contracts with our large national providers. And they, because of COVID, have um, opened up their offerings instead of just, hey, you can contract with us and we'll provide online speech therapy. Now it's, you can contract with us for your therapist to use our platform 
to provide speech therapy. And it's not just here's a Zoom room, it's here's our platform that has an embedded Zoom room and all your speech games and all your OT manipulatives are all available in the online platform. So your therapists don't have to start from scratch figuring out, okay, I used to play this matching game in my, in my therapy room. How do I do that online now to work on the student's goals? So um, there are lots of resources out there um, in regards to teletherapy, especially for speech and OT. Um, and also, um, I know evaluations, that's probably been the biggest piece for us, and I'm sure it is for y'all as well. Initial and reevaluations, um, and what do we do if we can't get to the student to provide those face-to-face? -face? Um, and more evaluations, especially in the, the uh, the psychoeducational evaluations are now going to online. There are, are some caveats to that, um, and the publishers will say this. You'll see it on Pearson's website and, and the other big publishers. You know, only a very small handful of these tests have been standardized for online delivery, but there are some that lend themselves to online delivery and just haven't been standardized. And there are ways that evaluators can document that and be able to use their professional judgment and guidance from the publisher in regards to, you know, here's an assessment that, that has been done to help gauge the student's academic performance. You know, it's not, it's, this is how it was presented. Here are some caveats um, and might be able to give you the information you need to be able to determine um, eligibility. And I'm going to say that all with, with a big disclaimer. It depends on whether or not DPI will allow that to determine eligibility. That's a state-by-state -state decision. You, I mean, we can do assessment, and it all looks great, and we've got all the tools in, but it may be that, you know, the state department's going to say, you know, we aren't comfortable with online psychological evaluations right now. Um, you can't use that to determine eligibility. That's more of a DPI discussion. However, our guidance to schools is, you know, many of our schools who have students who were due for a reevaluation during this time period are looking to see if they might be able to um, determine re-eligibility through a records review rather than full testing and waiting until face-to-face -face is an option again to go back and, and do that full testing if needed. Um, for initial evaluations, you know, it really, it, it's, we're really leaning towards what is best for students. And, you know, if there are some informal assessments that our teachers can do, our school sites can do online to give an idea of what supports that student may need, let's go ahead and do that and give them the supports they need. And as soon as we can resume and get face-to-face -face evaluations underway, you know, they're at the top of the list and let's, let's see what we can do. You know, from what we are hearing from OSEP, from various state agencies, you know, they understand, you know, yes, the timelines are there, but there's not a whole lot we can do. And so they're being very reasonable in regards to those timelines. I don't think they have an answer as to how that's gonna impact, you know, however your state measures school success or compliancy down the road. But right now they, they have been very understanding in that we're not gonna meet that initial evaluation timeline because, because of COVID. That's, that's our new documentation, because of COVID. <laughs> so there is that. Um, Another big question, I saw it in some of the, the comments that, that Tom had sent me in preparation for this meeting, progress monitoring. Um, you know, it's, we still need to track what we're doing with students. We still need to be working on IEP goals. Um, 
And it may be that it's not as integrated as it may have been in brick and mortar. You may have had your special ed teacher going into the gen ed classroom, working with that student, working with that gen ed teacher. Right now, it may just be, I'm just going to pull that student into a class, into an online classroom one on one and work on specific goals. It may not be as integrated in general ed as it was before. Um, again, like I said before, a lot of teachers are used to using their clipboards and checking things off and may need to look at other options for documenting um, service delivery. It may be an Excel spreadsheet. Um, you may have some, some funding available to look at various systems for progress monitoring that might be good now that might also carry over into next school year. Um, you know, Ames Web is probably the big one out there that has great progress monitoring um, options. It also is one of the pricier ones. Um, and, and I think probably from hearing from my, my peers, my, my teacher peers, I, I think the biggest hurdle that I've heard from them is just, I don't even know what to do in the online classroom. Great, you gave me Zoom. What do I do? And so I think there's a lot of things out there that you can steer teachers towards in regards to gathering data, activities to collect um, information for students. Um, a couple, I'll throw them in the chat real quick. You probably are already familiar with them. Um, Easy CBM has always been a good standby and it's free. You know, I'm all about free. <laughs> And it has some good progress monitoring um, activities in there that teachers can work on with students or assigning to students. Um, one that I have used in the past with my own, my own children um, in regards to reading comprehension that I think is, I really like it. It's called Read Theory. Um, and I wanna say it's readtheory.org. And again, it's free. I'm all about the free. Um, and it's, you can create classrooms in there. You can um, specify specific assignments to students. They go in, they read a passage, answer some questions, and it gives direct feedback even without the teacher. And you also have the option to have them answer comprehension questions on written. So you can look at written expression. There's rubrics available so the teacher can see some, um, you know, quote unquote writing samples. Um, so those are great. Um, tools to use, you know, short term um, to collect data. All right, so I, I went pretty fast and furious through a few things. What questions do y'all have? What are, what are the big hurdles that, that you're seeing right now with, with your departments and your staff? Yeah, and I think it's really important, everybody. Like, I don't, I'm not on a lot of these DPI calls. And I don't know how much they're actually answering your questions in groups, but to be able to ask someone who's a practitioner is really important here. So just, it doesn't matter how low the question may be. There's no judgment here. Uh, we're all trying to get better and learn. Um, because I keep thinking about, you know, even the pre, you know, process and, uh, you know, the MTSS and just really getting your know, people to better understand like what it could be and what it could look like and what are what needs to change, what can stay the same, but also how can we improve, right? So you got someone who's been doing it for some time. So you should be able to unmute yourself or you can put a question in the chat box. Let's, let's take advantage of this opportunity. Nobody? Well, while you're all thinking, I'm going to introduce my friend, Rhonda Dillingham. Rhonda 
uh, Rhonda Tara, Tara Rhonda. Rhonda is the head, she's the executive director of the North Carolina Public Charter School Association here in uh, North Carolina. So she's a, uh, a huge support and um, she's our, our you know, lobbyist and our advocate and our educator. Uh, so Rhonda, if you didn't get a chance to meet Tara, Tara, Rhonda. And, um, and, then my, and then my teaching teammates here too, uh, Katie Reidenauer, uh, Tara, she's, uh, she's on the call with us as well now. So that's great. So they all got to hop in today. I have a question. Go for it. Okay, this we're new uh, for charter school and I'm actually new to my program here. I'm not an EC teacher, but I am the curriculum facilitator at the school. So that's, I, well, that's the role I've been placed in for right now. My question is, I know in the public school, they have like an end of year checklist. We wanna make sure all of our stuff is in compliance. So is there an EC checklist that tells us what we're supposed to have, how everything is supposed to be, where it's supposed to be filed, when, what it's supposed to be? And where do we get that and when do we get it if they're sent to us or anything? Hey, Tom, can I respond to that? Sure. This is Tracy Riddle. I'm with Acadia North Star now as their EC consultant, but I used to be at the Department of Public Instruction and Exceptional Children's Division as the Special Programs and Data Section Chief. If you go on to the Exceptional Children's website, there are a variety of resources that you can tap into. One of them is the year calendar, and you can go through month by month, and it'll tell you what you need to do. If you're concerned about compliance and what needs to be in the records, then you can go, I mean, obviously we're using eCats now, and it's, it's pretty, um, self-explanatory. However, you can go into the policy section of the Exceptional Children's webpage and there are documents there um, that they use when they do their program reviews. So you can look at that to see what is expected um, of you. And if you put your email in the chat box, I can send you those links if that would be helpful to you. Yes, thank you. And I missed the question. Was it about what, what should be in the CUME files or was that the question? It is. It's like, what should be in the CUME files? What needs to close out the year that we need to check up on? Because our person that was doing it is new to ECAS, had to get trained on it. We had a consultant that came in and was working with us, but they didn't um, give us that information. Okay. Um, and they, because of COVID, we stopped. So we're not, they're not under our contract anymore. So we're just trying to yeah. find out what we need to do to be in compliance with everything. So someone from the group, I don't know if it was you or not, sent an email in yesterday asking a similar question. And then I think it was a, either a Jennifer or a Courtney sent a very lengthy response that had a checklist and a, and a sheet. So if you emailed me and asked that question, someone got back to you. Uh, let me know if you didn't I did, get it. I did not. And I wasn't on that call. I, um, I, was, on an, I was on another um, Zoom at the time. Y'all had this one. All right. I will. Um, yeah. Yeah, I will, I will find that uh, list. It looks, yeah, and I can, I can try to put that list in the chat box here. We got Thank a couple, you. Yeah, sure. We got a couple of questions. Um, my chat box is going too fast, everybody. How do you, how do you slow yeah. it down? I see, the, I see the one from Courtney. She has oh, a student perfect, who's yeah. struggling with online learning and related services. She's offered one-on-one, -on -one, home videos, paper packets. Courtney, I guess my question for you is, is the student coming at all or are they refusing to do any of it? 
okay, I think it'll probably be easier if I just unmute. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I should probably just, yeah. Um, yeah, so he has not participated in anything. I've been talking with his mom. Like, I mean, she's been engaged in some conversation with me, but I think as a combination of her work schedule and also just, he's a very short attention span and um, needs a lot. He has a one-to-one at school. Mm-hmm. So he, he needs a lot of support. And I think uh, it's a, probably a combination of factors, but I think she's just, I think feeling like at a loss, like she just knows this isn't going to work for him. Right. And I'm kind of just thinking right now, like that's like the only case where a parent has been just, you know, said it just like that. And I'm just trying to think about if there's anything else I can try um, in the meantime, because like, of course, compensatory services, I'd be interested in thinking about that as like a later plan, but I also just don't want to leave him out to dry for who knows how long, you know? Yeah, I think it, and this is a challenge for everyone, you know, now parents are, are working from home, you know, they can't work all day with their students on academics at the same time. So I think, you know, if, if it were me, I think I'd work with that family and that mom and just find out, okay, what, what kind of time do you have available? What are your priorities? You know, are, is this a, a low functioning student who really needs help with some more um, life skills type things. And maybe there's a couple of things you can focus on with mom to work on those right now and just say, okay, well, let's work on him being able to help you in the kitchen. You know, here's an easy recipe that you can work on with them. You know, I'm going to send you, you know, rather than, you know, the detailed out of a cookbook, I'm going to simplify it with pictures or whatever, you know, maybe, and, and maybe just adapt that for his current situation for the next few weeks. And I'm, um, you know, then may have to think of something, you know, if you go back to distance learning in the fall, you know, may have to have a more developed plan. Maybe there's some options for resources for support outside of just mom. Um, I, I think that's one of those cases where you, we just got to provide the support and relationship that we can to that family. Thank you very much. Yeah. Monica, motivating students who are not motivated. Oh, that's tough. I, I, can, I can speak from it, you know, from the teacher standpoint and, and from the mom standpoint, because I now have a 12 and 13 year old who are at home doing distance learning. <laughs> and whew, it's not fun. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of depends on the age group. It depends on the students as to what's going to motivate them. You know, for, for one of my sons, it's very much, uh, oh, is everybody else doing it? If everybody else is doing it, then I need to do it. Um, he's got one teacher who's doing actually, um, he's got a, a, a tracker, you know, who's doing who's doing what it's, it's for his cross country, you know, they've still got to do training. So he's watching to see what everybody else is doing on their, their miles and their activities. And that's very motivating to him. Oh, well, I've got to do more than, than CJ is, you know, that's as long as I'm ahead of CJ, I'm good. Um, you know, my other son, it's, it's pulling teeth. Um, you know, it's looking at grades and, you know, talking with them and, and making them realize that, it, you know, just because you're at home doing distance learning doesn't mean that you can't do school. Look, here's your grade right now. You know, right now you've got a, a 50%. Your teacher says you can redo that, you know, go back and look. And, and from a parent standpoint, you know, I'm, I've homeschooled my kids before, so I'm used to writing herd on them. But a lot of these families, you know, like Courtney's um, parents, she mentioned, you know, she's working full time, doesn't know what to do with her students. So the more teachers can follow up with students about here's how you're doing and not just leaving that out there in this nebulous gradebook world that students aren't voluntarily going to look at or parents don't have time to go look at. 
you know, targeting some of those students, you know, maybe it's just the bottom 5% of your class. Let me reach out to them and talk to them. You know, what can I do to help you, you know, move forward in this assignment? Or I see you really struggled with this assignment. Can we go through it together? And, and it may not be a full lesson plan right now. It may just be, here's a simple lesson and then let me go back and support those students who are struggling with those lessons. Um, it, we've, we've had this in the past where we've, you know, even from the teacher standpoint, you know, you've got all these teachers now on online who's doing, who's not doing, you don't have the bandwidth to do one-on-ones with every single teacher you've got on your staff. So maybe you grab the bottom 5% who seem to be really struggling and you focus on them and see if you can move them up. Uh, but I think, you know, there's so many different motivational things out there for students. It just depends on, you know, again, age group um, and what motivates them. But I think, you know, and Tom mentioned it earlier, you know, that relationship is, is huge. Um, it, it's really big. So it, I think if you can get that in there, you'll, you'll move a lot of those students along. Yeah. And, you know, and I wonder, um, so a lot of people are asking for some links. So, you know, Tracy, if you send that, you know, to me, I could forward it out to all, you know, 60 people that are registered or, you know, whatever's easier for everybody. I don't care. Or, you know, drop it in the chat. Um, no, like, I wonder if this is a situation where, you know, you marry the mission, but you date, you know, the plan. Right. So when kids aren't you know, motivated or what is what what could we get out of this? Right. Maybe it's not going to look like like none of us planned on being here except, you know, you know, Tara's teachers. So what Tara is saying is that her uh, teachers are trained to do this. The parents choose that environment, yet still they have you know, trouble. OK, so I think that's a really important piece for everybody to understand. So what could we do? to just get something, right? We're still focusing on that goal. We just maybe need to get to that goal a little bit differently than what we had thought. Or maybe just the goal is, man, if I can build a relationship with this young guy, when we come back in August, like it's gonna be different for him or her. And so, you know, in that case, you know, Taryn, I think I heard you say this, you, you know, you just have to document everything you tried, at least minimum, and just show that you've made, you know, effort and and we all know that we're all going to be having to do some repairing on the back end but the more preparing you do on the front end the repairing will be a lot less on the back i agree and and i will say you're absolutely right tom and we've heard it all you know you know everybody coming back in the fall is already expecting to have to do remediation for all students and but I think one of the most damaging things we can do, and, and I say this because one of my teachers told my sons this, uh, well, don't worry about if you don't understand this assignment, because I've already talked to your algebra teacher in the fall, and she already knows you all are going to be behind. Mm. I'm like, well, great, you just scrapped that whole assignment for my child. He's not even going to try now. Um, so I think we have to be very careful about, yes, we kind of know that in the back of our heads, but how we communicate that, if we communicate it at all, being aware of our audience and how it, how it comes out. But um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I feel, I feel for, for y'all as administrators and teachers, because, you know, with, with my teachers and schools, we have an online curriculum. It was developed to be done online at home and y'all you know that's not a basis you have so not only are you trying to transition all these students and parents to the online environment you don't have that you're, you're creating from the ground up your curriculum to present online as well so you can't do it all at once and do it all phenomenally 
Um, so you've got to pick the, the most important thing to keep students engaged, to make sure that you know, parents feel supported in this, and um, just having lots of grace for not only the families, but yourselves. Hey Tara, you know, that's an interesting uh, question here um, about curriculum. And uh, maybe you can make some recommendations, but listen, odds are this may happen again, right? Or you're gonna have snow days, or you're gonna need uh, compensatory services or whatever. To have something that you know works online would be a really great supplemental resource for everybody too, right? So as you have, there are some expenditure, you know, money. I know there's some rules about how you use it, but this is part of it. You know, I mean, you wouldn't have had needed, you know, virtual online curriculum if we didn't have these uh, situations. So, you know, Tara, is there, what are some recommendations that you have for, for reading and math and anything else uh, with online curriculum? Right. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so much out there. And, and I would say even, you know, regardless of what program you use, if you are going to have a successful, you know, distance learning program or, you know, we call them AMI days here in Arkansas, um, you know, virtually the way it's successful is if you're actually using it in the classroom as well. So it's not just suddenly, oh, it's, it's a snow day. Everybody go online. It's the first time you've ever been there. Um, that doesn't work. Um, so if it's something that they're already using in the classroom, you know, in various ways, then when it's time to do that solely at home, they're more comfortable with it. So that would probably be my first recommendation. Um, as far as various curriculums that are out there, um, to be honest, for I'm going to start off with, with self-contained, significantly involved students. Um, historically, we've used the unique learning system um, just because it's been pretty much the only one out there. Um, however, it does have some hurdles in that there's a lot of printables that have to get to the, the student, and so that is a navigation in and of itself. That being said, um, conover.org has some great um, online resources for transition students, older students, and very reasonably priced. Um, and I will, I'll, that one's a good one to just Google search. So that's Conover, um, the unique learning system. I'll try and type them in here so you all have them as reference. Uh, yeah, and, you know, maybe I was just actually thinking, you know, Tara, because this is what I do. Uh, what types of questions should they be asking themselves maybe, right? Or or like, how would I know it aligns to what? Now, everybody, that goes back to the point that you have to have an education plan in place to actually be able to answer that, right? So having an aligned education plan from a general ed standpoint supports the ability to create a specially designed education plan, right, which is different. And then, you know, be able to ask those, you know, questions, what, what could we do uh, with that? Right. Yeah, so I've just listed the third one is Teach Town, and we're actually exploring that right now as an option um, for some of our students, both um, for those students who are in self-contained type settings, as well as social skills, support, and transition. Um, yay, that's good to hear. Like I said, we're just starting to explore it. <laughs> um, you know, where I have seen success are our schools and school districts who um, are using their own platforms to hold their classes, such as Google Classroom. They're already in there. That's where students access some of their, their assignments already. 
and you can have your special education teachers have access to the gen ed teacher and still have that collaboration um, via the online classroom. Um, so, you know, there's Google classrooms, there's various LMS, but again, that goes back to what Tom was saying. That's when your, your general education district curriculum has an online component and then it's figuring out how to layer in that additional support for special populations. Um, but really it's, it's, you know, and, and I've said this to, to other, other schools as well, you know, we want, if, we, if we're going to think forward thinking and that we're always going to have this possibility of a merge of, you know, sometimes we're able to be in the building, sometimes, you know, we're going to be at home, it's going to be distance learning. You need to have the ability to, to do that shift. And I think having, having, even if you have some, a couple of supplemental programs that you're using with your brick and mortar curriculum, you know, that's something that could temporarily transition. And that's what they focus on when they're doing distance learning until they can get back in. Um, you know, so it, it's baby steps. Um, I will also say, uh, you know, there's, there's company K-12 is one of them. There are other companies out there who are offering trials of curriculum. So I encourage you, you know, if that's a direction that, that you're interested in or your school district's interest, interested in, now's the time to check them out because there's all kinds of free trials out there to see what, what aligns with your um, state requirements and what works best with what your district is, is built to handle as far as digital um, functionality. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask uh, Tara one more question, but what I want us to do here is, you know, Tara, she's not getting paid for this. Well, if you thought you were getting paid for it, Tara, I'll just figure something out. Uh, but she's, you know, volunteering her, you know, time for us. So let's, let's put, put one thing in the chat box that you, that you're going to take away from Tara's talk and start to implement, right? Cause you know, good intentions is, you know, being on this, you know, message, or, you know, like on this session, but you know, it, you know, it's all about intentional action. That's the only way that we're all going to get better. Um, so uh, Tara, our um, members of, of uh, legislation have approved a bill. It's a Senate bill 704, right? Did I get that correct, Rhonda? 704 is what it's called. And in it, it, it talks about remote learning. And so every school, every public school has to provide what their plan is for remote learning and how they're going to specifically monitor and track student growth or student achievement. So what's been like your top three, two or three, like this is how we've got the best information um, for our kids in terms of, you know, tracking progress. Hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> You know, it, it really varies by school. You know, when we look at academic progress, you know, the, you know, the K-12 curriculum, it, it has that inherent in it. You can see how students are progressing in their coursework, et cetera. But then when you layer in IEP goals, it really varies state by state. Um, but I will say that the ones where you can truly not only track progress, but you can see and monitor, because I mean, in, as, a as a virtual administrator, a lot of what I do is I look at reports, I look at data. And so you want to look at systems where you can get progress information from your teachers that is easily digestible and able to be analyzed. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, one of the standouts is AmesWeb, um, just because they do a phenomenal job of, of a platform that gathers 
gets the data and spits it back out again. Uh, but again, it is very pricey. Um, we have seen some IEP systems that have great progress monitoring um, features in it where it's not just your quarterly progress report, but you can actually add in additional progress monitoring dates and then generate charts out of that. And in my mind, that's like the perfect world for EC. You know, when it's married into the system you're already in. Um, so I, I, those would probably be my top two. Um, and then, you know, other than that, it just varies on the system. I mean, there's so many different programs and online um, platforms out there that, you know, have pre-assessments, activities, post-assessments that you can generate reports out of. I think it's just making sure that everything that you're doing ties together. You know, it's one thing if you're gonna use, um, you know, easy CBM to do progress monitoring, but the goals you're writing don't match what's available to actually be progress monitored in easy CBM. But at the same time, you don't want all your IEPs just to be based on the things that you can easily progress monitor in a system. Your IEP should be based on what that student needs. So it's really kind of taking it from, you know, what students need to a system that is robust enough to give you good analytics as well as flexible enough to be able to customize to those students' goals. I love it. I told you everybody that I was going to surround you with the people that were way smarter than I was. That's not really hard, but you know, Tara, you won today. Uh, for sure. Um, so I wanted for folks, I saw a couple action steps about the resources, layering EC support within Google Classroom was a big one. Check out the websites, uh, figuring out the brick, the virtual and the brick and more learning situation. Um, so there's a lot of ones that are, you know, starting to come in now. You know, would you mind putting your email address in here? You know, Tara, like if someone had a, if you know, someone had a follow-up and then what I'll do everybody is um, I'll make sure this recording comes back to you as I always do. But uh, whatever you guys are asking for, that's very, very popular in here. Like make sure I know exactly what it is so we get it. And so we'll add that um, QM file EC, you know, a question and whatever links that uh, folks are looking for from a Tracy, because I don't know if Tracy's still on with us. Uh, but I want to make sure we get it. Uh, as you said, I'm currently looking for a curriculum for our first year we open. We've been focusing on online resources. Yeah, so that'll be good to help out. Yeah, I think it's um, so one of the one of the challenges, like you know what you know, what Tara said. She said, "I love free, right?" But you have to know kind of like how does it align? Like how's it going to help me get to where? Because we're all creative. We all love the creative process, and we can get so inundated and just down down some rabbit holes with all the free resources. I mean, every day as a board member, I'm getting emails like, hey, join this, join that, you know, try this curriculum. I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't even imagine a, a poor teacher that's trying to stay, you know, focused without trying to grab everything and see it. So think big, but start small. That's what I heard, you know, Tyra said, take some little tests and see what works and then align it to your program. And maybe even down the road, you could build a more robust exceptional children's program that serves in a blended style, right? I mean, that would be interesting to be able to do a service, the, uh, the uh, livery model that's partially brick and mortar and partially online. That would really maybe save, save some time. So um, I would love for everybody uh, to, to, to wave a bye to Tara and you know, tell her thank you. Tara, you're welcome to hang on with us for a couple minutes. I'm gonna let Rhonda speak if you wanna hear all the funness that happens in a general assembly, but uh, you know, I want Rhonda just to share about what this bill is, and thank you so much. And uh, Tara's a Razorbacks, a Razorbacks a fan, 
Uh, so if you don't see, hold it against me, so if you see <laughs> that, you know, Razorback uh, symbol this year, think of Tara. And if she helped you out today, say, Hey, that nice lady from Arkansas really <laughs> helped me out uh, this year. There she goes. She just, yeah, she just put it up there. What's his name? Does he have a name here? He, he doesn't. Well, this, this particular one doesn't, but you know, there's there, down when you've got the blow up, you know, mascot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's Woo Pig. There's, you know, Big Red. Okay. Yeah, my, Suey. My son is a huge mascots fan. That's all he does is collect mascots. I don't think he's seen <laughs> that one yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to show, I'm going to expose him to Arkansas later, Tara. So we'll see. You may awesome. have another fan. So, all right. Thank you so much again for your time, Tara. Thank you all. And feel free to email me with any questions. I'm happy to help. Will do. All right. Rhonda, I'm going to give you the floor. I don't know if you have, you know, much to share, but, um, about Senate, you know, Senate Bill uh, 704, it's a monster. So, so what do you got going? What's, what's, a good, what's a good news part of it? Maybe start, start it out with some good news. Hmm. Oh, I set her up. Well, okay, I can do that. There will be no school performance grades and no school report card. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> Based on 1920 data for the 2021 school year. So yeah, that's good news. Uh, all EOCs and EOGs have been waived, so that's good news. Um, there will be no further diagnostic or formative assessments required by the state for the rest of this year. <clears throat> um, I did see that fourth graders will take kind of like a BOG or the, like, like the first 10 days of school next year. So we may have an EOG, I'm sorry, a BOG for third grade and then an EOG technically at the start of the year for the fourth graders. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, it says no later than the 10th day that school buildings are open for the school year. So oh, wow. school buildings are open. That's key, I think. Yeah, and the reason is for that is for the growth so they can keep that growth formula going for the third, for the, the read achieve. And that's the only reason they're doing that. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, for fourth grade. And then the, you know, the complicated parts the parts that get me really bogged down <laughs> are the parts related to the remote, um, the remote learning plan. I'm still working on trying to condense that down into something that the general public could understand. And let me tell you, that is a task. The other part that is a task is trying to find a simple way to communicate the requirements for the 2021 school calendar. Yeah. But if I understand it correctly, this is if, and I'm, I think I'm just about 98% there. This is what I would recommend. If you have a school calendar that your school has adopted already for next year, based on 185 days or 1,025 hours, keep it. Add five remote instructional days and you're good. It's really that simple. Now there is some, um, I'm still, the part that I'm still trying to iron out is a section of that uh, law that says, um, oh, let me see if I can find it. It references August 24th as not being able to start school 
uh, or put a remote learning plan, a remote instructional day in there before August 24th. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, you can ask five different people how to interpret that and you're going to get five different answers. I have asked Speaker Moore's staff. I have asked attorneys who are very knowledgeable about charter school law, and I haven't gotten the same answer from any of them yet. So that should be reassurance to you that if you're still struggling with trying to understand it, don't worry about it. We're going to get an answer. I promise you I will get an answer. Um, I, I tend to be so thorough that it can drive some people crazy, but if I give an answer, I want it to be right because I know there are a lot of people listening to me and relying on me. Um, not that that's any pressure or anything. <laughs> here's, the, here's the easiest solution. Just have 190 to 195 days of school next year. Right? Like I just did the math, like 1,025 hours, even if you have, you know, if you have six hours of instruction per day, that's 170 days. So you're going to blow past that, you know, in any capacity. And just, you know, the one thing you just have to figure out is how do we do without burning out our teachers, right? So you just get a little creative with how you do it and you build those days right in and it is what it is. I mean, so um, I appreciate that work, Ron. I know it's really hard to try to interpret what they're trying to put down on paper. It's not always easy. So, uh, but the easiest thing would be like Rhonda said, take your calendar that you've got now and add your five to 10 days or whatever you want to do to make sure you're over. Cause worst comes to worst. You just, you know, you just pull back. Right. I mean, when I was, you know, I went to school up North and they always build in like 10 days. And then at the, you know, once we passed the snow time and we got some clarity, they just sucked those days back and they changed the last day of school. So technically you don't have to have your testing calendar in until like the third quarter. So you could do something like that, extend your year and then pull back if you miss it. So the only other thing I would add about that is um, you do want to make sure because you are making those changes to your calendar that you get your board to vote on it. Right. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, all right, we learned a lot today. Was that helpful? It seemed like that was helpful. In a couple of weeks, um, if that was helpful, I asked uh, uh, the California Virtual Academies to come and speak. They, they serve a ton of uh, children as well in a virtual fashion, and they're their own particular one charter school. Um, Tara represents an entire organization of schools. So the Carolina Virtual Academies is one school uh, so we'll see a little bit differently, uh, you know, from theirs. But, you know, my hope is to keep on giving you guys ideas and thoughts about how, how you can continue to improve your plan. So any last thoughts from anybody? Katie? Rhonda? Don't forget about I'm just thinking back to what, I'm thinking back to what Tara was talking about, reaching those hard-to-reach kids. And, you know, I have a, I'm just thinking about the best parent-teacher conference I've been in was with my uh, my youngest son when he was in fifth grade, and he was doing poorly in one class, and his teacher was great. So instead of just looking at his overall grade, she said, you know, if you just look at his overall grade, he's doing okay. He's getting a, you know, he's getting a B. But let's look at what's contributing to that. And she, you know, she broke it out by here are your tests, here are your quizzes, here's your homework, you know, all the pieces. And then she said, look, 
it's the quizzes that are slowing you down. If you could just raise these quizzes up by 10 points, you know, and gave them an average and made it really achievable, she's like, then you'll have an A. And he was like, oh. So he didn't have to work on everything. He just had to work one piece of it. And so especially for your EC kids, as much as you can simplify it and make it achievable, then you know, you're going to have greater success. Clarity. Clarity is king, Katie. All right, last words, Rhonda. You were saying something. Uh, I was just going to say, for those school leaders uh, who are interested, don't forget about our call tomorrow at 1. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of important information to share there. Yeah, all right. And more special expert guests. Yeah, it's fun. So thanks, everybody. Uh, appreciate you all. Tom Miller again from Leaders Building Leaders. And uh, join us uh, tomorrow at 1 and uh, Friday at 1. We have another call. We'll be talking about the comfort zone. Uh, what a challenging place to be, the comfort zone. All right. Thanks, everybody. Say bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm super excited to see you.